We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the Field of 68 After Dark. We are closing 2021 with a bang, and it's the gentlemen from Sleepers who are with me tonight. Carter and Greg are here. I'm John Fanta. Good evening, everybody, and from all of us, an early Happy New Year to all of you. Thanks for following us all season. Gentlemen, Carter, I'll start with you. How's life tonight, my friend? Life is good. As you can tell, I got my Michigan State Spartans football jersey on. We just pulled out a win against Pittsburgh and and then I get to follow it up by being on the After Dark show with John Fanta and my good co-host Greg Waddell who really cannot finish the year any better than me right now so I'm a I'm a happy camper as they say yeah you got uh you got Carter Elliott who won't sleep tonight after that great Michigan State Bowl win and then you've got me who wishes he was asleep two hours ago during that Michigan loss to UCF so I think it's the best of both worlds but it's great to be here on the field of 68. Shout out to everybody who has made this happen. And Fanta, it's great to see your face, my friend. Uh, it's great to see you guys, too. Let's jump right into what happened tonight down in Florida. It is a big opportunity for UCF, welcoming in the Michigan Wolverines. And an opportunity tonight for Michigan to start to show that, yes, this season is going to turn, that they're going to flip that script from the early season woes. And a Michigan team that entered the evening at 7-4 and four looked like they would be 8-4 and four heading into the new year. Instead, they are 7-5. and five. They lose a double-digit lead to UCF. The Wolverines unravel. You credit the Knights, who came back and won this game, but they win this game 85-71. to 71. Unheard of when you think about what was going on with 16 minutes on the clock in regulation. Greg, what went wrong for the Wolverines tonight? Yeah, I mean, you you said it in one word, summarized it perfectly. They unraveled. I mean, you expect in a college basketball game, especially when you're on the road, that the other team is going to throw a punch. And it was a weird first half. Michigan took a four-point lead into halftime. It was a little choppy. Michigan came out, had a great first four minutes to the second half, built a 12-point lead. And to UCF's credit, they didn't quit. They hit a couple big shots. The energy in the building went from here to here. And all of a sudden, Michigan just stopped. And, I mean, it was veteran guys. It was Eli Brooks and Devontae Jones just giving the ball away, getting, giving up open shots to the guards, uh, just looking very confused. I mean, 
it's hard for me to pinpoint because so many different things look wrong with this team right now, but for a program that flaunts hashtag for competitors only, there's been a lot of laying down and dying this season. And it makes me think, honestly, you know how like in college, maybe think back to your college years, guys, you have that friend in your friend group that you always want with you just in case something goes weird, just in case you're at a bar and something happens. I'm looking up and down this Michigan roster, and I just don't think they have that guy on the team. I don't know that they have any guy on that team. Like when things go wrong, there's not a ton of guys I can point to that I'd say, I want him on my side. And I'm struggling to figure out who's the spark plug for this. You would think it's Hunter Dickinson, but man, Hunter Dickinson has really shied away from those tough moments this season. Uh, And it leaves them in a spot where conference plays here. They have zero Q1 wins and I don't know where they turn. Yeah. and And the thing for me is like in the game of basketball, like, you know, it happens when you miss shots. Like that's something that's excusable. Like sometimes your shots just aren't falling. But for me, watching that second half of that Michigan game, it was so many mental mistakes. Like you do all these things preparing for games where you look in the scouting reports, you look at what teams do. And even during one point in that game, I literally saw the whole Michigan team identify the shooter on UCF, point at him during that possession, and then proceed to let him catch the ball and no one closes out on him. It's just, it's. I know it's frustrating for Juwan because it's frustrating for me just to watch it. And I'm not even a Michigan basketball fan. Just as a fan of the game of basketball, you know, things happen where you don't make shots and it's not your night. But the one thing that you can control is the mental part of the game. And the fact of the matter is you're not closing out on shooters. You're having defensive breakdowns. And you're at a point of the season where this Michigan team hasn't been able to show their talent enough where they can overcome mistakes like that mentally. And they don't have a person, like Greg said, on they could lean on when they unravel like that. So, you know, they weren't able to take that punch from UCF and bounce back. Unfortunately, they laid down and just let it happen. And credit to UCF for taking advantage and getting the win tonight. Yeah, and credit to Darren Green Jr., Brandon Mahan, who really spearheaded this performance. They combined for 12 threes in this game. And you look at UCF, that's what had to happen for this game to turn. But it is Michigan's biggest flaw this season on the defensive side of the basketball. Their perimeter defense has really struggled, has really struggled. Sometimes we get into the weeds of the game. And we say, well, UCF had a night. But you know what? In order to have a night, you have to have openings to do so. Michigan's perimeter defense struggled early in the season. Even when they were supposed to let UNLV off the hook easily. I watched that whole game from start to finish after midnight on the East Coast. And Michigan won the game. They ended up covering the spread late. It's a bad beat, by the way. But they they didn't let UNLV off the hook. They didn't tonight. They got in trouble because they got complacent. They got complacent with what looked like a controlling double-digit lead. You could have ballooned that tonight. You're thinking maybe they win by 15 points. That's the way that the game looked. My biggest thing is some of the things we've been harping on with this Michigan team, meaning Eli Brooks and Devontae Jones and them being in sync and then being able to coexist in the backcourt, that occurred tonight. (laughs) That occurred tonight. Mm -hmm. Michigan does not possess depth. So if something's going wrong with one of their core three or four guys, they don't have someone to come off the bench and really provide a spark. Their youth, it has served. We thought that 
one of the best recruiting classes in Michigan Wolverines history, um, that they would be able to come into this program and that Jawan Howard would do what he's done thus far with this program. Did we take a premature lap, victory lap with Jawan Howard? Here's my thing. He's done a terrific job these first couple years. That's in the past. But this sport isn't so easy that you just come in and you dominate year in, year out. And I think that this has been the tough cookie for Coach Howard. The fact is he has a young group, but a group that at the same time has an all-American caliber talent on it. Hunter Dickinson needs to have a flame lit under him. He needs to have a come-to-Jesus moment. Hunter Dickinson, the three of us, even the guy that's wearing the green on there, knows damn well that you are a superb talent. Michigan's got to find a way to get the most out of that. Mm -hmm. you, You have to. You have to find a way. Tonight, when the going gets tough, he's got to be fed the basketball. Yeah, he's got, he's got to be the guy making plays for this basketball team. And it's just not happening enough. Michigan feels like a team that you're exactly right. They don't possess a security blanket. And when you're on the road and a team gets hot from three and you can't compensate for that on the other side, you're in a lot of trouble. And that's why the Wolverines are who they are. One of the more disappointing teams in college basketball to date. Yeah, I think, Fanna, I think it's fair to say they're the most disappointing team today at this point. And as far as Jawan Howard goes, look, I, I watch a ton of Michigan basketball. I consider myself a Michigan basketball fan. I'm not afraid to look in the camera and say blatantly, I think Jawan Howard arguably has done the worst job of any coach this season. Now, that's a major difference to say that. And then to say Jawan Howard's a bad coach. Jawan Howard's a great coach, Not in my opinion. Right. Like I, th- th- but this is why, with the performance of this team today and with how confused they seem to be on what the answers are going forward, it's okay to say he's had such a bad year. Because Jawan Howard is capable of winning Big Ten championships. He's capable of running great stuff. He's capable of getting a team to buy in defensively. We've seen it as soon as last season. And it's just hard for me to to see the results from this team with how talented they are. Because I believe this team's a top 10 talented roster in the country. Now, we got to talk about Caleb Houston at some point because – If you're going to say they're as talented as I think Michigan is, he's a really big part of that. And tonight, Houston was 0 for 7 from the floor for one point with four rebounds and three turnovers. So, again, this goes back to them not really having an alpha. I don't know what their identity is. Their rotations have been a mess all season. It seems like they're playing three power forwards at once at all time. There's not enough shooting on the floor. and But all of these things, to me, I don't know if they're fixable this season. But I damn sure know they have the talent to be a lock NCAA tournament team. And right now, their results don't have them there. Right. They have the talent. And usually with a team like this, like you expect there to be some growing pains. But when you I mean, we are going into the new year right now. Like you're supposed to use these non-conference games to fix these issues. And to go back to the point that Fanta made, uh, you know, when you're hat, when you're struggling, when nothing's going right and all college basketball teams have that night when nothing's going right, shots aren't falling, and you're just looking to somebody. 
And Hunter Dickinson has to be that guy, whether he wants to be or not, because one, he has the talent to do so. We saw that last year. He is an all-American caliber player. He can do it on a night-in, night-out basis. It is not outrageous to say we should expect 19, 10 at minimum from Hunter Dickinson every night. He has that ability. He would tell you himself he has that ability. So in a game like this where everything's going wrong, it seems to me like the ideal situation would be just throw it into your All-American and let's live and die by that. He'll make the right play or he'll go score. There's not a lot of people that can stop him in college basketball. And like you said, Greg, like Juwan is a good coach. He showed that, you know, one year does not make or break a coach. Tom Izzo had an awful year last year. And no one will say that Tom Izzo is a bad basketball coach. People have off nights in basketball. Coaches have off nights in basketball too. It happens. He has the ability. He has the talent. I'm a betting man. You know, so I'm going to still head over to Bet Rivers and I'm still place a bet that Michigan can make a run in the tournament because they have the talent. And I think Juwan is a great coach. I still believe in him. So I think they can turn that corner. But, you know, we can keep saying that on every single episode that Michigan's going to turn the corner, turn the corner. But eventually they actually have to do it. Yeah, but here's the thing. You're, are you going to turn the corner in Big Ten play? You right. might just make it by the thread. You're, there's no humble... There are no off days in this league. There are no off days in this league. You're betting your money on them to make a run in the tournament. Just hand it to me, and I'll use it for the state dinner on New Year's Eve. Well, listen, we talk about, I mean, turn it around, right? They're seven and five. Conference play is coming next week. Their next four, let alone conference play, their next four, they go at Rutgers. They're home against Michigan State. They're home against Purdue, and they're at Illinois. I mean, what's the over-under on wins for those, that team in those four games? It over yeah, one and a half. I'll take the under on that. I mean, they're they're not in the same stratosphere as three of those teams right now with the quality of play. They're not. Um, and and look, you know, you guys say they they do about the talent. Raw talent in college basketball doesn't win in 2021-22. Now, especially in a season where there's fifth and sixth year players. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the Big Ten, you've got Brad Davidson's been around for a decade. Um, and I just think that Michigan is in a state, though, where can they turn it around? Can they turn around? I think the answer to that question is, yeah, in terms of being able to compete in the Big Ten, finding a way, if, if you go around 500 in your league, you're going to get respect. If you can beat the right teams, maybe you're getting consideration. You know, that's where you benefit from playing in the Big Ten Conference. But big picture, like, you think about the youth of this group, Musa Diabate. I think he's a super freak athletically. I love the the just just the I love watching him play. Uh, Caleb Houston had a bad night tonight. I, from game to game, don't know what you're going to get. That's the thing with Michigan. With Michigan right now, game to game, you do not know what you're going to get from this group, and that's why we're all saying. The constant has to be Hunter Dickinson. And I know we've said his name a number of times, but Hunter, we're saying your name because we know that you've got it. You possess it. That that will, that will, especially in the Big Ten, you got to be willing sometimes to say, I'm taking my team, I'm playing them on my back, and I'm going to make things happen for this group. I think the backcourt, has something like there are moments where I see Eli Brooks and Devonte Jones 
And I think that they're that they could coexist. I think that they could make things happen. It's a team, though, that for sure, at the three and the four spots, the, the guys that they brought in that people thought interchangeability, tons of athleticism, they're going to make things happen. They'll play off of Dickinson. You know, when Michigan marches up the floor, you just don't feel like you know what you're going to get from this group right now. They lack an identity. They lack an alpha. And they should have one. Well, and Fana, I'll let you in on a little secret from Sleepers Media ourselves. We record our weekly episodes, right? We're doing a lot of different various forms of content, interviews, podcasts, etc. It's pretty frequent, I would say, probably once a week or so that either Carter or I will call each other after an episode and literally say like, ah, my bad, man. I don't feel like I had it tonight. I was off my A game tonight. And I'm waiting for that moment with this Michigan team because there's been press conferences from Eli Brooks and from Hunter Dickinson where they're pointing some fingers and they're saying freshmen got to realize this isn't high school anymore. Guys got to realize they're not in their old programs. They're at Michigan now. Yeah. What, what I really think this team needs is a dose of just a finger in the mirror from some of their best guys. Like I need Hunter Dickinson to step up and realize I'm not being the best version of Hunter Dickinson right now. I need Caleb Houston to do that. But if this team's searching for answers, I can tell you one thing. It's not going to come from some of the fringe rotation guys. It's not going to come with Brandon Johns all of a sudden having things click in his fourth year. It's got to come from the guys who are already being given major minute opportunities on this team, just playing better. And at some point we can criticize Juwan or we can't, we can call him a great coach and say, he's not doing it. Like at some point, the guys who are on the floor for 25 to 30 minutes a game just have to play how they're capable of. And who knows if they'll get there. If they don't, it's going to be a real long season. But uh, that's what I'm looking for. From the Michigan fan in me, I'm waiting for our best guys to step up and just be the best version of themselves. And I think a lot will get figured out. And from the Michigan State fan in me, this is making me extremely happy to see. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> yeah, while we, while we transition here, uh, just quick shout out to uh, Chris Beard, who had a great quote this week that uh, if you go to the Texas game this weekend, $10 gets you a ticket to a basketball game and a mimosa. He was very excited about his mimosa. So in his honor, I agree with that. I like basketball. I like mimosas. And uh, thanks to Michigan basketball, I'm going to be pouring a little more champagne in my mimosa right now. <laughs> love that. Champagne should be flowing for the sleepers. I love that. Uh, and you know what, guys? I brought my own spirit here tonight. Okay. Yes. I come with, it is a brand new beer. It's from the guys at Beers, Business, and Balls. And if, if, you, uh, if you follow me on Twitter at John underscore fans, I'll give you the information to all our viewers. It's a new beer called Christmas Comes Early. And uh, this is totally unprovoked. I didn't ask for this beer, but it has uh, a cartoon on it. And it is a cinnamon and vanilla cream ale. That sounds... Very tasty. And also, it's okay that you're drinking it after Christmas because, Fanta, you can do no wrong, my friend. I'll let Fanta, you know that right that's now. A, that's a cartoon of you, is it not? It's correct, yes. Wait, what? <laughs> I didn't even see that. I need to that's get incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, and, the, and our stage manager, my stage manager here, went to open two bottles, but they both exploded. So we're not going to do that live on the show. Um, I can tell you that when if you get a six-pack, it will not explode in your face. Um, or at least, well, it won't do what Memphis has done this year, <laughs> uh, which let's transition um, to the Memphis Tigers. I promise we're going to get to some positive storylines. We're going to talk about the, the sleeper teams heading into 2022. 
But guys, we got to talk about Memphis. The Memphis Tigers came into this season as America's hottest talked about team, the darling of college basketball in terms of they won the offseason with Imani Bates, with Jalen Duran, who were not available last night for the Tigers. But there are no excuses. There are no excuses, Memphis, when you lose to three and six. Previously, three and six, two lane. 85-84, Penny Hardaway stresses defense. There was none of it in this loss. And now the Memphis Tigers are 6-5. and five. They're 0-1 in the American, which is not a good league. The sky looks to be falling. Is the sky falling for the Memphis Tigers? Yeah, I, honestly, I really, you know, I think it is. And I'm an optimistic person. Like, I said it all year. This Memphis team, talent-wise, on paper, can't argue it. Amani Bates. You know, he's a 17-year-old right now, should be a senior in high school. But granted, the talent is still there. Jalen Duran, a great player. DeAndre Williams bringing back a lot of talent from last year's NIT team. And it just seems that they haven't been able to make it work. And this was my fear coming into this year. Like, basically, you have a formula last year that wins you an NIT title. And you kind of shift it a little too much instead of assimilating the guys into what you had, the new guys into the group that you had last year. And things just kind of go off the rails. And, you know, the one great thing about Memphis is when they reach their peak or if they reach their peak, it's going to be a beautiful thing because I think they have a lot of talent on this team and they can play extremely well together. But the floor on this team is so scary and so dangerous. I think you got a lot of personalities a lot of different agendas on this team, unfortunately. And that's not really a recipe for success. So granted, they do have a great ceiling with this team, I think, but the floor is just so scary with this team. And I, you know, it, I just think that, you know, the calling card should be defense and you should win games against Tulane. I'm sorry. Like that should be something that you should do. Granted, if you have started out, it doesn't matter. You should not make excuses. You got to find a way to win basketball games. Yeah. I, I tweeted it out and it was half joking, but half serious. After the loss to Tulane, can someone please ask Penny Hardaway, did he play the guys who care tonight? Because I, I still don't really understand who he was subliminally sending shots at. Obviously, not having Jalen Duran is the story. Like, you can talk about Imani Bates if you want. DeAndre Williams, sure. Yes, they both are very talented basketball players. But, like, Duran makes these guys go. He's the heart of this team at their best, in my opinion. And without him, like, that's an irreplaceable thing to be lacking in a game when you have him – more often than not. Now, I, I would argue that this team has already broken or they've already hit rock bottom. I don't necessarily think we're going to see Memphis nosedive even worse than the stretch that we saw earlier this season with a 20-point loss to Iowa State, a three-point loss to Georgia without their best player, a four-point loss to Ole Miss, and a two-point loss to Murray State. I mean, I think they were at rock bottom and there was infighting from everyone involved. And then they came out and ran Alabama off the floor. So, look, Memphis to me is like the weird addiction that I can't shake. I can't get enough of watching these guys. I will follow the narrative all season long. I will root against them one night and then root for them the next. But at the end of the day, I can't trust this basketball team. I just can't. And I don't think anything they're going to do in conference play is going to change that for me. Now, I have a question for you, Fana. Do you think this team can win the conference? Houston's had all the injury issues. Do you think it's there for the taking? 
they're not winning this league. They're not winning this league regular season title. I thought about this question earlier today because I do think that Memphis could pull a an American Athletic Conference tournament championship out. Like, could they go to the, the tournament and win a couple of games over those league opponents? Yes. Yes. That they could because it's a conference tournament. Anything can happen over the, the course of a couple of days. And this this league, it's just not good enough. Like the, the league is not that strong. So if this Memphis team isn't in the semifinals of that league tournament, that's ridiculous. But you're losing to Tulane. So they're not winning the regular season. Like I'll still take Houston shorthanded and Calvin Sampson because there's a proven product there. And you've got a culture, and you figure out ways to win games. Like, Houston, before they dealt with what's happening now with the Marcus Sasser injury, among others, they, they, they've been a, a general hospital the last 10 days. They have an established culture, a course of developing players, a leader in Calvin Sampson. They, they get it. Memphis is the sexy sign outside of the restaurant that then you walk in and the place should be shut down by Gordon Ramsay <laughs> immediately, immediately. It's frozen food. You're not getting what you pay for. You're paying $82 for a steak. That's been sitting out for an hour. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Look, you're trying to do things. You're trying to do things in a sport that is totally shifted from the model. Okay, it, it, it's not a case in which you can bring in all this young talent and expect that you're just going to win. And Penny Hardaway hadn't proven it before that before now. We were supposed to think that it was going to be proven this year because you brought in Larry Brown and Rasheed Wallace. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. They've used they've played 11 games. They've used eight different starting lineups and a different starting lineup in each of the last four. This is college basketball, baby. It, 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 this man, is I, me and you, folks. This I, is said, I said it coming into the year. Like, you look on paper, and you look at everything, and everything looks great. You see on social media, they signed Rasheed Wallace. That's awesome. Rasheed's going to be a good assistant coach. It looks great. Like, you're signing these former NBA guys. You got guys like NBA guys like John Morant who are in Memphis coming around the program surrounding everybody everything looks Carter, great carter it's fire fest <laughs> it's a fire fest of college basketball that's what it is it's like it, it's like that picture of that meal you think it's a great festival and you open up the styrofoam meal and it's a piece of wheat bread and a piece of lettuce and a piece of turkey on a night-to-night basis i know exactly what i'm getting from houston houston could go on twitter right now calvin samson could go on twitter and drag five guys out of anywhere, but he will pull five guys that will play the exact way he wants to. Like, I don't like to do the whole team to team comparison, but if you put Houston right now down, however many guys they are against that Tulane team, I promise you they're going to play the exact same way that they would play at full strength and they will win that basketball game. That is what it is. You know what you're getting from that team. Like you said, they have a culture. It's an overblown word, but Houston really has a culture in place and knows, and the players know that, the coaches know that, everybody knows that. Memphis does not have that. And that's why you see the product on the court. 
And I love the Firefest comparison. In fact, I would love nothing more than for HBO or somebody, Netflix, Hulu, send some producers to Memphis, Tennessee, and let's get a documentary going on this team. Because I'll, I would binge watch the hell out of a season behind the scenes, a hard knock style documentary about this Memphis team. At least they should make a buck while doing that. I'll give you my analogy for this team. I already gave you one with Michigan uh, back to my college days. Everybody has that friend in college, right? Girl or boy, doesn't matter. Everybody's got that friend who's dating somebody who there's so many things wrong with this person, right? They're like, <laughs> everyone can see it from a mile away. Like what is, what is he or she doing with that person? And the reason is always, oh, like I, I can fix them deep down. They truly believe that that's Memphis basketball. Like how many people need to watch this team for 10 more games before they're just going to get to the point that we just acknowledge and accept this isn't working. Like it would be healthier for us all to just cut the tie and say, not this year. We'll see you again next year. But I can't even do that. I can't shake it. I look forward to watching this team play, whether it's a disaster or a blowout win. It's appointment viewing for me every single week. And it's an addiction at this point. Yeah. And I think it's a perfect reflection in the fact that the, the most frustrating part about it is that you could walk out of the floor and beat Alabama and beat them like a drum, beat them by 14 points and hang 92 on them. Like, this team does not have a player with over 33 assists on the season. So they don't have a player that's averaging even three and a half assists per game. That, that, the biggest thing with Memphis is they do not have someone who makes plays for all this talent. So you have 1v1, I'm going to break you down. We'll beat you with our speed and athleticism, our explosiveness. But it's, it's just again, another team offensively that doesn't have a lead guard who can consistently create. And at the basic core of it, in this sport, we talk about the sexy, the storylines. The In this case, Memphis doesn't have what it takes to win in this sport at the highest of levels. They've got a lot of great parts and pieces. But you got to have a workhorse and you got to have a leader. When you're starting eight different lineups in 11 games, how the hell are you expected to, to have any sort of consistency? No, you don't. You don't. Memphis, when, college, when Memphis is good, it's good for everybody in college basketball. College basketball benefits when the Memphis Tigers are a factor. Great brand. Great fan base. Terrific passion, awesome atmospheres. Guess what? You're trying to do things with a formula that's way too shiny for the pieces that are inside of it. And that's just the fact of the matter. They are not doing it the way that wins in this sport. Sadly enough, sorry, Tiger fans, you don't want to hear this. Change is a coming. It's going to have to come. Because the formula that you're trying to go about it right now is so long and far behind Scott Drew, Mark Few, Jay Wright. It, it just is. Change is a coming. This has been a mess. And I don't see it getting cleaned up. The only saving grace they have is, unlike the Big Ten for Michigan, the American is more forgiving in that they could find a mojo 
And in the conference tournament, they could beat those teams in a conference tournament. They're not winning the regular season. You don't know what you're getting from night to night. You don't even know who's going to start for that basketball team. All right, we're at 1130 on the East Coast. That, that We're closing out with Memphis. Let's get to moments of the year. And then we're going to get to our sleepers heading into 2022. Now, I'm challenging this group because Jalen Suggs buzzer beater is everybody's most common response this season, this year, rather, the year 2021 in the sport of college basketball. All-time buzzer beater for Gonzaga to advance to the championship game. Speaks for itself on Final Four Saturday night. It seemed like that shot was the only thing that could have prevented UCLA from advancing on. So I'm removing that shot from the equation because everybody's going to answer that shot. When you think 2021, Carter, what pops in your head first? Well, honestly, what pops in my head first is Michigan State playing game, losing to UCLA. But we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, great moments here. And honestly, you know, I'm a little biased because UCLA did beat Michigan State in that run. But that run by UCLA was extremely impressive. That was honestly my favorite part of the tournament. Not only that game against Gonzaga, but just that run in general. And just the run from the Pac-12, honestly, to give them credit. That run by Oregon State, great run, guys playing together. Ethan, Guys like Ethan Thompson on their last run, just having a great string of games. Uh, so I would honestly say the run from UCLA was extremely impressive in that tournament. Just the, honestly, the team clicking at the right time, making the tournament run, guys making a name for themselves, Johnny Juzang, Jame Jaquez making plays. It was just, it was, it was fun to see, even though it had to happen against my Michigan State Spartans. But I think that run was my favorite moment of the year so far. Greg? Yeah, I'll give you two. I have one for this season and I have one for the year as a whole, which harkens back to last year's NCAA tournament as Carter's did. We'll start with Max Acemas. I mean, everybody loves, everybody longs for the darling of the NCAA tournament every year. It's someone that the, the mass of people that watch college basketball recreationally may not recognize, may not know the name of. And Acemas filled that role this year. I mean, watching that game come to just fulfillment by them securing the win at the end, the Ohio State buzzer beater goes awry and Oral Roberts advances to the round of 32 and we get one more 40 minute session with Max Aismas and Kevin O'Banner. I mean, that's what college basketball is all about. Falling in love with these guys that most people have not ever seen before and then letting them consume your work week the next week. I remember sitting at work for four days thinking, oh my gosh, can they make the elite eight? Can they get there? And that's what's beautiful about college basketball. I fell in love with Max A. Smith, and now I responsibly, through Bet Rivers, continue to bet on Max A. Smith, and I've watched so much more of him this year than I did last year. I can't wait to find someone new this NCAA tournament again. But going to this season, the moment of the season for me, being a Big Ten guy, has to be Ron Harper Jr. from half court knocking off the at-the-time Purdue Boilermakers, number one in the country, the first time in school history. They had the alumni video. They had all the former players congratulating the Boilermakers on this incredible achievement. And then you flip back to the game, and I believe Robbie Hummel, friend of Field of 68, is doing the play-by-play on that game. And Ron Harper Jr. can't miss. He just had an out-of-body experience for 20 minutes in that second half. And you kept thinking, when is Purdue going to get over the hump? And ultimately, I mean, Travion Williams scores the big shot 
He makes the bucket. You think Purdue survives. No timeouts. And it's chaos. And somehow it was like the gods just destined it to go in. Ron Harper heaves it. Swish. Rutgers storms the court. I mean, again, something that is just so beautiful about college basketball is any given night, anybody can beat anybody. And to me, that was the most memorable moment of the season. And I won't get that image out of my head because now I think anybody can beat Purdue. And Purdue was looking pretty unbeatable going into that game. It just goes to show you that on any given evening in this sport, anything can happen. Rutgers was reeling. They had suffered a couple of pretty atrocious losses. And one to Lafayette, one to UMass. And you just look at what happened that evening inside. It's now Jersey Mike's arena. It'll always be the rack in Jersey. A rack attack happens. The Scarlet Knights pull off the shocker. You don't know. You don't know from evening to evening. I will tell you guys how my NCAA tournament started and how it started for all of us. So I made the move because the tournament was in Indy and uh, my folks at the, at the Big East Digital Network, I, I typically will go out to a site for the first weekend. That wasn't happening with COVID, not the first weekend, okay? So a couple of buddies, I've never had the opportunity to, to do this during the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. Probably will never have the opportunity to do it again. I go out to Atlantic City in Jersey for a couple of days, catching up with some buddies, also doing some work for us uh, from the hotel room. I go out for a couple of days with the guys, just watching games, taking it all in. Uh, everybody's throwing down a little bit here and there. First game of the day, we're in a sports bar. Filled up. Filled up with people. The game is Virginia Tech in Florida. This game goes into overtime off of a crazy buzzer beater shot by the Hokies to force OT. Then it's a one possession game with just over 20 seconds left. And Trey Mann delivers the dagger three. And Trey Mann and Colin Castleton both put up a big day. Castleton goes for 19 points, 14 boards. Trey Mann delivers. But the crowd at Atlantic City, as Florida finds a way past Virginia Tech, just the back and forth nature of that game, if you remember, it was the first game of the day. I think it was at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Total magical situation. That's how the tournament started for us as a country a year after it was totally shut down. It's the best ever. Mm-hmm. That's what makes this the best event in sports. It's Florida. It's Virginia Tech. You don't have to be a Hokies or Gator fan. It doesn't matter. You never had to hear of Oral Roberts before the tournament started. You sure as hell got on their bandwagon when they were pushing the Buckeyes to the limit and then when they ended up taking down Florida. You think about Florida. They advanced past Virginia Tech. They had been through so much. You know, what? the, the, the saddest thing that happened earlier in the season was Keontae Johnson. Uh, I love Mike White and the program that he's built and the family atmosphere. For Florida to overcome that, all that happened with Keontae and, and that situation, to beat Virginia Tech in the tournament, then you're thinking, we're going to make the Sweet 16. But the NCAA tournament is the biggest piece of humble pie in sports. And they met Oral Roberts, and like you said, they met Max Asmus. To Oral Roberts, to Abilene Christian, who did the unthinkable, to Oregon State, who had to win, who had to win the Pac-12 tournament just to make, just to make the NCAA tournament. 
And guys, I will tell you my last big memory out of all the memories here this season uh, and this year in 2021. I will tell you, tell you this one that hit home for me. I'm at the Garden this past March, and I'm one of the few that's in the building for the Big East Tournament. And in walks Georgetown at the start of the week. And the Georgetown Hoyas are the eighth seed in the Big East Tournament, a complete afterthought. Maybe they'll lose the first day of the tournament. In walks Patrick Ewing. They, can't, they don't recognize him at the entrance of the building. He doesn't have his security. He doesn't have his pass. He, he goes on that long rant that goes viral, lands everywhere. The garden then escorts him with their senior security people throughout the rest of the week. And they had to escort him throughout the rest of the week because Dante Harris and Georgetown won four games in four days. They shocked the world. And gentlemen, on the anniversary of the hiring of John Thompson to Georgetown, Patrick Ewing leads Georgetown to the Big East Tournament Championship the year that the man passes away. Can't make it up. Can't write it better. That's the beauty of it. That really is. 49th anniversary to the day. To the day that Big John was hired at Georgetown University. The Hoyas win the Big East Tournament title. And I'm telling you right now, I am telling you, I and many others felt John Thompson in that building that night. He willed Georgetown. He willed his son. Patrick Ewing treats John like a a second dad, you know, like a father. That was magical. Gave me goosebumps. Georgetown had like a month-long pause during a wild season. But the year that Coach Thompson passes away, they win the Big East Tournament with Patrick Ewing coaching the team. Damn, man. Like, to be there in person for that and then to see a, a crying Patrick Ewing in the hallways of the Garden with security that was with him when he was a New York Nick, that's why we cover this sport. Those beautiful moments are why we cover this sport. That's hey, the man, great part about it. Like, fan, I even when you were talking about that Florida game, I literally remember watching – and I was looking because it was an early morning game. And it was at Finkel. And it was at, at Hinkle. I'm sorry, at Hinkle Fieldhouse. It was empty, and you could see like the sun shining through and the sunspot shining through on the court. And as he hit that game winner, I was like, Man, if he was two inches to the left, the sun was probably in his eyes. Like that's the greatness of the NCAA tournament and the tournaments for the conferences. And honestly, the way college basketball has gone this year, it has me even more excited for it because you know who knows what's gonna happen. I mean, we've already seen it this year with Rutgers beating, you know, Purdue, the number one teams have been falling, top teams have been falling left and right. So it's, you know, it's just going to even make for an even better tournament moments like those, you know, you just, you're going to talk about those for a long time. It's the best sport in the world, folks. That's why we're here, right? This is why the three of us and so many other people in the world just are, are obsessed with this sport. And we love this sport, this game that these people play because there's stories. There's, there's people behind these jerseys and these logos 
that make the sport so beautiful. And uh, every year it's, it's something new. I'm sure there's countless stories, just like the Patty Ewing story that you just told that we're going to discover that we don't even know by April 1st this year. So I can't wait for it, fellas. I, uh, I, I mean, genuinely the three of us are here because we love this. We don't, we don't need to reflect anymore. We love this. We know this. And one thing we love is going beyond just the obvious program names in the sport, beyond the big names. You know Baylor, Gonzaga, Purdue. You know that those teams, Duke, are going to be right there. There are other teams in this sport that go beyond that top 10, that top 15 even. You never know. If you see them in the second weekend of the tournament, you heard it here first. It is time with Sleepers Media. For our field of 68 sleeper teams that you shouldn't sleep on heading into 2022, Greg Waddell, who are people sleeping on heading into the new year? Oh, boy. All right. Can I I have three on my list. Am I rattling through my three or are we going one by one here, Fanta? Give us all three. All right. I'm going to start with Northwestern. I have to start with my Big Ten pride, as I said. But here's the thing, folks. Northwestern? scares me this year and I say that again as someone who roots for Michigan basketball and hosts a Michigan State basketball podcast Michigan State's got a game at Northwestern this weekend I'm scared of Northwestern they're eight and two this season their only two losses are to Providence and to Wake Forest those are good losses those are great losses Providence might have the best resume in the country right now Pete Nance I'm gonna give a shout out to Kevin Sweeney at CBB Central on Twitter one of the smartest people in the sport. He made a, a statement on the Sleepers podcast this week where he called Pete Nance basically 85% of Keegan Murray. And I can't think of anything that's more true. If Pete Nance played at a bigger brand school right now, we'd be talking about how he might be a 50, 40, 90 guy. He's shooting 53% from the floor, 42% from three, 85% from free throw, 16 points, eight rebounds, three assists, and two blocks. I mean, those are first team all conference numbers. Northwestern is not a cupcake this season. And I think they know that. I think they know that they are deserving of a potential at-large bid in this NCAA tournament. It's been a long while since they've been able to say that. And there's opportunities on their plate for them to go get some big wins in Big Ten play. So don't sleep on the Northwestern Wildcats. Number two. I agree with you, too. I agree. I actually think that they might pull it off this weekend. I think there's a shot. Ooh, I like that. Uh, we're going to go to another Wildcat here. I like a good theme in my segments. We're going to go to the Davidson Wildcats, folks. Love it. Love Listen, it. Davidson, of their starting lineup, four of their five starters shoot 42% from three or better. I mean, I, I think it was Archie Miller who on this very show said, you don't want a one-night prep for Davidson. I mean, that just sounds like a root canal. They they're they're crazy good offensively. It is what it is. Like this team has the firepower to just outshoot and outscore any team they play against, no matter how much talent is up against them on the opposite side of the court. When you talk about nightmare matchups in the NCAA tournament, oh God, if I was like a two or a three-seeded team and I'm looking down at the opposite end for a second round matchup where I might catch like a 10, 11, 12 seeded Davidson in the round of 32. I would lose sleep over that one. Quick shout out to Foster Lawyer, by the way, former Spartan. Cart, question for you. What is Foster Lawyer shooting from three-point on the season, percentage-wise? It's for sure over 40. I'm going to go ahead and say 43. Carter, Foster Lawyer is shooting 52% 
from three-point range on over six attempts a game. Telling you, man. Telling you. We said all along, it's about finding your level. That man found his level and then some. He could be the darling of the NCAA tournament this year, and I would not be surprised at all. I'll go to my third team. This is not a wildcat, unfortunately. I'm a little sad on this one. It's the Oklahoma Sooners, who, again, sitting here at 10-2, and they blew out Arkansas, who I know a lot of people are down on Arkansas right now, but that's not something to sneeze at. They went into UCF, the UCF team that beat Michigan tonight, and got a victory there. And they beat Florida, who we already talked about. We, We really respect the Florida program and what they've done. This Oklahoma team, to me, in Porter Moser's first year, has already taken the identity of his best Loyola teams. If you look at the Ken Palm rankings of the 2018 Loyola Ramblers, 63rd offensively, 17th defensively, pretty similar to last year's Loyola Ramblers, 41st offensively, second defensively. Now, I don't think this Oklahoma team has the ceiling to be that good. I don't think they're going to be a top five defense in the country, but they have that identity right now. They're a top 25 defense in the country. They're 68th offensively. I think they have some room to grow there, but he's basically taken, no offense to these players, but this ragtag group of like Jordan Goldwire, the transfer, Tanner Groves, like Elijah Harkless, who we we joked about, I think uh, in the off season, we were doing a Cade Cunningham video and we were talking about Elijah Harkless, a great defender, but he's not necessarily an NBA level great defender. And Look, he's taken those guys and turned this group into just a really, really tough out that plays the winning brand of basketball that Porter Moser teams have played for his entire tenure at Loyola. I have my eye on Oklahoma because I don't think they're going to be out of this Big 12 race. Everybody talks about Baylor. Everybody talks about Kansas for good reason. But I think Oklahoma has a good chance to finish maybe fourth in the Big 12, getting that large bid, maybe a, a six or a seven seed in the NCAA tournament and potentially be a second weekend type team by the time we get to March. Wonderfully done. Uh, that was fantastic. Uh, and I, I love what you said about Oklahoma. Northwestern has a – they've got length. Um, and I've seen them a couple times. I like their balance as well. I think that Chris Collins is, is a better coach than he gets credit for. And any time that you shoot the ball the way Davidson does, I love all three of those picks in their own ways. I know some people are down the Atlantic 10. I understand that. But, man, Davidson's level of efficiency, if they do find their way to the NCAA tournament, golly, your your fingers are crossed hoping that you don't have to face them in the first round. Archie Miller said they're a tough prep on one day, nor alone. Like, they're tough on three or four for the NCAA tournament. When you only have a couple days, you got to travel, you got the buzz. If the Wildcats make it, watch out. Carter, your three sleeper teams heading into 2022 are – All right, one, I'm going to start this off with by saying this. This is not necessarily a sleeper, but I do not like the fact that when the great teams are mentioned, like Duke, Baylor, Gonzaga, for some reason, everybody leaves out Kansas. I really need everybody to realize how good this Kansas team is. You have the great coach in Bill Self. You have Abaji, who I think is the player of the year in college basketball right now that nobody is talking about because he's just quiet, humble, not really flashy, but he's doing all the right things. He's scoring at three levels. He's playing great defense. When this team needs him to close, he's a closer out there. He's doing everything this Kansas team needs. Remy Martin is buying into what Bill Self is talking about. The player we saw at Arizona State, 
is not the same player that we're seeing at Kansas. Still the same scoring ability, but he's able to reel it in a little bit, not make some some of the same mistakes he made at Arizona State. I just feel like when you talk about great teams this year, Kansas always seems to be either that last team or the team that gets left out. And that just doesn't really sit right with me. So I want to give my respect to the Kansas Jayhawks. When you're naming those great teams like Baylor, Gonzaga, Duke, do not leave out Kansas. Do not do that. Great team. Second, I could take my homer pick. I could say Michigan State. And they are a sleeper. Wake up if you're not. But I'm going to go to another Big Ten team in Ohio State Buckeyes, EJ Liddell. I've talked about it coming into this year. I think that he's taken that step this year. He's, you know, increased his scoring load. I think he's done some things as well on the defensive end that I like seeing. And I just really think this whole team as a whole, Holtman's really got them to bought in and buy into what they're doing. And they need to make that jump. They had, the, you know, the, the things in the past where they haven't been able to get past that second weekend. And I know that's in the back of their mind. Me and Greg did an interview with Zed Key last week. And they talk about that Oral Roberts loss. Like, they don't forget about it. They have a motivating factor to be great and they have a great player in EJ Liddell. And I think they have enough around him. And I think enough guys around him can make enough plays for this Ohio state team to be really good. So I think that's another team that key might be the biggest key for the Buckeyes because you know what you're going to get from Liddell. Like Zed's got to be the second guy. He was that against Duke. Exactly. They need that guy. EJ Liddell is like a hybrid four. Like he's not a guy who necessarily wants to be down there banging. And Zed Key is all about that. I mean, big body, big boots on him. We all know that, pause. But he's make, he's moving things out of the way. He's making things happen. I really like that Ohio State front court. And I think they can get enough contributions out of their guard play for them to be a good team. Briefly, fact or fiction? Greg, EJ Liddell, Big Ten Player of the Year thus far. Fiction. Okay. Who fiction. I'm, ta- I'm taking Keegan Murray, to be honest with you. I think he's been by far the best player in the Big Ten. Carter? Oof. Uh, I, Iowa hasn't won enough for me, so I'll say fact on that. I think EJ Liddell has been player of the year so far in the Big Ten. I just thought I, I, I would, I'm sorry, not Iowa. Purdue has too many parts that are putting into it for that one guy to kind of. For sure. Yeah, take, absolutely. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if, so. if, if not Keegan Murray, though, I'd go Johnny Davis then. I think we're, EJ's probably maybe fourth on my list right now. Okay. Johnny Davis. Would probably be my vote. Um, he's been superb. If Johnny da- nobody means more to a team in the Big Ten than Johnny Davis means to Wisconsin, and that's saying a lot because EJ Liddell means plenty to Ohio State, but Wisconsin, you know they they look they've looked like a train wreck when Davis is not on the floor. And I, I mean I hate to be that blunt, but it's the, it's they need Johnny Davis to be on the floor. All right, Carter, I we digress. So you're third team. My third team, and you know what? This might be the most far out team out of them all. And I'll be honest with you guys right now, because I don't like to lie to you. There's not a lot of stats or things that I've seen so far to back this up, but this has to do with one player and one conference not being as good as people think. I'm going to the ACC and I'm going to the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Oh no. I think, okay. I like this pick. Alondis Williams should be a lottery pick in the NBA draft this year. That man is a hooper. He can play. He does everything on the floor. Great passer, great score, rebounding on the glass, do it all guy. And I would love for nothing more than to see an Alondis Williams run in the NCAA tournament. I think he'd be magical. The type of guy that could have a run in the NCAA tournament to boost him up to maybe like a top 10 pick even would not be surprising to me. 
Love that. Love that dude. Think he's a great player. Love to see that he's made that transfer to kind of show what he can do at this school, kind of show what he did in the Juco level. Now Wake Forest, in love with that dude. I just want to quickly note that there's nothing more on brand for my good friend Carter Elliott than being asked to give three sleeper teams and giving two teams who are ranked 13th in the country or higher on his list. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, I, I noted that they weren't necessarily a sleeper by the rankings. I'm just saying I hear the chatter. You know, I'm around college basketball <laughs> people all the time. So these teams aren't mentioned enough for my liking. So therefore they're sleepers. Yeah. And I think Baylor being the reigning national champions and being the best team in the sport thus far this season, certainly the best defensively they've shown with Flagler, Akinjo and Cryer, the kind of options they have in their backcourt, but make no mistake about it. If Ochai Abaji is playing his best basketball and David McCormick progresses the way he did last year, then you have Christian Braun, you have Jalen Wilson. Like, look, that, that Kansas Jayhawks team, would it surprise anybody if they ended up winning the Big 12? Not at all. It shouldn't. It shouldn't surprise people. It's college basketball. Like, Baylor and Kansas should be in a race. Kansas is that good. I, I don't mind that pick. I do think they've been a bit of an afterthought. I don't know if every single person in the country is considering the Jayhawks to win a national championship. So that's why that pick made sense. Could could Kansas do it? Heck yeah. Heck yeah, they could do it. Uh, I'll never bet against Bill Self. But here are my three. Here are my hey, three. Fanta, are, are they, I don't want to spoil it. Are they three Big East teams? They are not three Big East teams. Because <laughs> if you're sleeping on the Big East, you're on drugs. <laughs> I, mean, I had to ask. I had to ask. At this point, if you're sleeping on the Big East, where the hell have you been? Like the, the league has 18 quadrant one wins in the non-conference. That was the most in college basketball of any league. I digress. Here are my three teams that America is sleeping on heading into 2022. Yeehaw! Let's start with the Cowboys of Wyoming. Their net is 31. Head coach Jeff Linder has a group with four players averaging in double figures. Yes, they had a narrow loss to Stanford. Tough. Wish that that result were different. But they beat Northern Iowa. They beat South Florida. This is a team that had a bad showing against Arizona. Arizona showed us what they are, okay? They're one of the best teams in the country. Wyoming hosts Boise State on Saturday. That's a big, big game for this team. And I also point to, folks, if there's a Mountain West game that you circle on your calendar and say, I have to see this basketball game, January 31st, Monday night, January 31st, it'll be 8 p.m. Eastern time, 6 Mountain time. Colorado State will head to Laramie to take on Wyoming. That is a mammoth game in the Mountain West. Again, Wyoming's net is 31. They have four players who average in double figures. They average nine and a half three-pointers a game, and they have a dynamic duo. A lengthy duo, too. Graham Ike is a six foot nine sophomore that's not getting spoken about enough nationally. This kid had 25 against Stanford. He's got two 20-point performances in his last three games. Remember the name, America. Graham Ike and Hunter Maldonado accompanies him in the scoring column. That's a good duo for Wyoming. I like Jeff Linder's team. That net of 31 checks out. The Mountain West is a solid league. The Cowboys are legit. 
They will show it. They will knock off Colorado State at the end of January on their home court. Mark my words right now. Number two, we are heading to Belmont, where Casey Alexander again has a team that has had a couple of defeats, but by the same token, at 10-3, and they've won five in a row. Five in a row. Remember they faced Dayton in Orlando in the championship game of that ESPN events invitational. They lost that game. Good game. They just fell. They haven't lost since. They found their groove down at Disney. They're a team that averages nine and a half threes a game. 235 assists to 160 turnovers. They don't turn the ball over. They have some Davidson principles to the way they run offense. And between Nick Musinski and Ben Shepard, that's their duo. The efficiency level of Belmont lends itself to for them to be a really dangerous out. I think they'll go dancing again this season. And I think that you do not want to see Belmont in your region. That's another really dangerous team heading into January, February, and beyond. So Belmont's my second sleeper. I've got my third here as the clock hits 11.59. Hold on. <coughs> I'm talking so fast, I had to cough. <laughs> and I had to cough because we're ending the year on this show in song. Wow. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountain, Shenandoah River. Life is old there, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, huggy bear, sweeter than the bees. Country roads, take me home to the place I belong. West Virginia. Take me home. (laughs) Country roads. I like West Virginia. This is a team that has delivered thus far. They only have one loss. They play Texas this weekend. You guys brought up his name earlier, Sean McNeil. When he gets hot, it's hard, really hard to play them. You know, West Virginia is going to defend. But between McNeil and then Taz Sherman, dynamic one two punch, if they get a third consistent score, which I count on Bob Huggins to continue to evolve this group. I love their toughness level. They're so tough in Morgantown to to beat. I thought that they showed it earlier this season against UConn. They just grinded their way to a win. Country roads take us home right into 2022. Mountaineers are a team to monitor in the big well, how about Quick, that? Quickly, Fanna, I love West Virginia. Sean McNeil, Heat Check Player of the Year. Give me more dudes named Taz. If your name yes. is Taz, I want to go into war with you. And three, that third guy you're looking for, Jalen Bridges. Love him. Love West Virginia. Yeah, he could be that guy. That does it for us on the Field of 68 after dark. For all of us here at the Field of 68, Rob Doster, who does a terrific job captaining our ship, Jeff Goodman, who's fantastic in everything that he does. Dagan Hughes, our producer, is unbelievable to work with. Dagan, thank you for all you do. Greg Waddell, you do a terrific job on camera. Behind the scenes, you're our Swiss Army knife. Carter Elliott, you always bring the energy. I love working with you. I'm John Fanta saying good night, everybody. Happy New Year. And your resolution should just be watch more college basketball, and join us at the Field of 68 on the road to March.